Warriors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Roaring Glory podcast. This is season two, episode two. We're going in on church polity, so let's roar some glory. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I said, let's roar us some glory. I said, let's roar some glory. Oh, oh I thought you said roar us some glory. I don't know. Maybe I did. Either way. <laughs> it's perfect. That, that Lie to have a professional. I, I keep telling Rachel all the time I should be a little jingle writer. There's some uh, rom coms out there where the guy is a jingle writer. Oh, there's one called The Holiday, and Cameron Diaz is a trailer maker, a movie trailer maker. You know, she's got to get the voiceover guy, and then. Oh, it's called what? The Holiday. The Rachel holiday. knows. Yeah. I'm going to have to like, so when people hear that conversation cut off mm-hmm. and just so they can hear the lion and then we pick it back up, that's why That's why I cut that, just so you can hear the lion Yeah, in the song. <laughs> that was a lion. <laughs> <laughs> that was a roaring glory. No, the type of roaring glory that we're talking about is, <laughs> is more Bible-based and not animal sounds. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what are we talking about? I think I already told them. But uh, maybe we should. Wha- maybe we should tell them again. Again, well, yeah. I said church polity, but uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know what that meant until what two weeks ago. If you'd have said polity, I'd have been like, "Why are we talking about politeness?" Yeah, well, I mean, it is polite to do what God says, and I believe He <laughs> says, "This is my body, and this is how it should yeah. work and function." And uh, but, but. Specifically, polity would mean a particular form of system of government, um, civil polity, ecclesiastical polities, which is what we're going to talk about, uh, a state of other organized community or body, um, condition of being constituted as a state or other organized community or body. So basically, the organization of a body group of people. So you're telling me the church should mm. look like the Roman Catholic faith? No. We're talking about evangelical polity protestant evangelical polity okay biblical polity (laughs) ah yes and there's different variations of across christianity on how that gets interpreted Mm -hmm. Um, you know for instance presbyterians and methodist and baptist and reformed and uh, i mean i think roman catholicism is a whole different ball game but yes, so what we're talking specifically kind of more um, reformed polity. Uh, we're we're gonna want to couch it under biblical polity. We believe that's where we're going. Yeah, that's, that's where we're what getting we our cues from. Reformed doctrine is yeah not. And I I even would uh, distinguish between modern Baptist polity and and historical Baptist polity. The past 100 years or so have seen a, a more of a modern Baptist polity structure mm-hmm. in the church that um, I don't agree with. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily sinful, right, 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 but just unhelpful right. in a lot of ways. It looks very corporate. Yeah, modern Baptist polity in, in a lot of Southern Baptist churches, and I'm talking when I say modern, past hundred years or so, has seemingly taken its cues from 
the Industrial Revolution and corporate America and how mm-hmm. how we've built this nation to be effective in in that form of life instead of uh, instead of holding true to biblical form of church government. Yeah. So where do we see uh, the the roots of church polity? Well, you know, as far as leadership goes, there's always been kind of spokespeople or uh, interpreters. Is that you? Of probably. Turn your tweets off. Tweeting. Yeah. Our uh, social media director. Oh, she's doing work. Is working. While we're working. Working. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I interrupted. Uh, where are we going? Roots, roots, roots. of church folly. Leadership. You're on leadership. Yeah. We start to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, you have, um, beginning with Moses, uh, these leaders and spokespeople for God uh, who were called to gather the, the people and lead them according to his word and stuff like that. So, um, and we'll get into specifically what happens with, with Moses and his leadership of God's people and how that kind of sets a pattern, a, a logical pattern for mm-hmm. leaders of God's people today. And I think it's appropriate to say leaders, and we'll get into why. Um, but specifically, we're talking about as a New Testament idea of what it means to be a gathered body. An uh, 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 ecclesia. Mm-hmm. A called out people, a, a gathered people, assembled people. Congregation. Yeah. That's that's what we are, and more specifically, taking language from the Bible of the body, mm. uh, with Christ as the head, His body. It it is meant to point out the picture of a created physical structure called the human body, mm-hmm. and we have things in certain places, so that efficiently by God's design, our bodies can do what He's called them to do. Well, uh, I believe that's a picture that that God is organized he's not chaotic he has specific purpose uh, for specific things and people and places in the body and i think the bible makes that abundantly clear yeah especially in first corinthians 11 through 15 and other places you you have that be brought out to its clear sense so i know we're going to get into this a little bit more but you would say then a body is is not uh Let's go with the positive. A body is complementarian. As in, like, my hands and feet don't do the same things, even though they each have phalanges. And you need them both. And you need them both. To they do their separate jobs. Yeah. Yep. And my hands can't do what my feet can do, and my feet can't do what my hands can do. You can... But one is not more important. Right. You can improvise. You can walk on your hands, and you can improvise and pick up stuff with your feet. But the ideal, <laughs> <laughs> the ideal, and some people have to live that way. I yeah. I know people personally that have had to live that way. But the ideal structure is that your hands do hand work, your feet do feet work, and they're connected. Well, that's interesting that we see in real life mm-hmm. people make do with what they have been given. Mm-hmm. Or not given, yeah. and though it's not ideal, yeah, uh, I think we see that in the church too. Yes, you know, I I pastored a church um, just a little bit north of Branson, and it, there there just wasn't many people in there. And I would argue that of the people that were in there, there weren't necessarily any other elder pastor yeah. types. And so in that scenario, and we'll get into talking about a plurality of elders, but in Elders, I always go elders. 
Elders. I noticed that. Elders. <laughs> I get carried away talking really fast. But elders. 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 Would that be a northern one? <laughs> yeah. Good one. Thanks. Um. Now, okay. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. Elders. 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 So in that's in that context, like I was the only one. Uh, I even think that they're, uh, you know, the way that I'm interpreting deacon according to the Bible is a is a qualified servant, a, a high character servant. And I even interpret in the context of that can translate into a man and wife that mm. can translate into women, yeah. women taking that office um in conjunction with a husband or something like that so that that was what you're talking about that was the context where we had to make do with what we had to do had to do we had to walk on our hands and that's so that's what you do yeah but uh, i think in too many cases that's not the case right and so we (laughs) shouldn't be um Satisfied, but still the word starts with a C. I think content. There content. we go. Goodness gracious. Yeah, and w- and what is I think it's important to note at the outfront. What is the point of this discussion? What's the point of having a biblical polity? Hmm. And I think the point is for um, God's purpose in in building His church in the most efficient and helpful and glorifying way. Um, and you need to do that in an organized way for that to be most efficient and helpful. Well, isn't it interesting, <coughs> this thought came to my mind, to build the church, if if you're coming to church and just coming to church, how are you, y- you may not be growing to the fullest extent that God has called you to grow. You know what I mean? Being just a passive member of a church, Sunday mornings, it. When you could step into some some part of the body being a servant of the body, not necessarily an elder role or a deacon role, like we're going to get into today, but but I've found that some of the most growing times of my life has been in that servant ministry type role, like helping with the youth. I'm going to grow probably more than the youth are. You know what I mean? So not being a passive, just you mentioned building the church, and so that's what I'm, like we're growing together as a body and being passive sometimes lets some parts of the body not grow healthily with the rest of the body. Yeah. Makes sense? <coughs> yeah. It'd be like, you know, having two legs, but one of them, you just decide you're not going to use one of them. Right. And right. So it's important for everybody to let the Lord fit them into the body where it's appropriate. Yes. <coughs> and sometimes people get, sidetracked or distracted by thinking that the most important parts of the body are what it means to be a part of the body mm-hmm. whereas there's that discussion in first corinthians about you know the honorable parts of the body and the parts that you know aren't normally seen or covered up and <coughs> you know their function is still as important and yeah crucial to the body and it's so it's you just find your place, and no matter where it is, and you then are a part of contributing to the work of Christ in this world through his people. Yeah, I think there's the most, or the strongest argument for complementarianism versus egalitarianism, and I know this isn't the point of our right podcast today, but 
but why freak out about not being able to preach because you're a woman when God has a specific place for you to glorify him? Yeah, I was telling Rachel, I think, I think complementarianism is actually more inclusive than egalitarianism because the way that we're designed and created as people, I can't do some things as well as women can do things. And women can't do some things as well as I can. So why, like, at that point, mm. we're not being inclusive because I don't need you if you can do everything I can do and I can do everything you can do. I don't need you. So you can just sit there on Sunday mornings. Whereas if we look at it from I need you, then you're coming on to be a part of this body. Yeah. I need you, you need me type yeah. of thing. And not one is more important than the other, like yeah. you just mentioned. Well, and if he created two genders and he had a purpose for each, specifically glorifying him and the things that, he created them to do and to be, you know, they, they together complementing one another can, can bring a fullness of glory and, and revelation to the world, you know, of what God is. So Jesus can refer to himself as a hen who's wished to gather her chicks, mm. you know, when he's speaking about Jerusalem. And then we, he, you know, is a male in his human manifested form and he and he speaks to the father mm-hmm. in a in a masculine pronoun so there's and there's reasons that god has for each gender each place each unique thing we can't all be all in all as he is all in all right we're the created right. he's the creator same goes for the members of the church yes and why we need church polity yeah, why would the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you, or to the eye, you know, I, I have no need of you? It's not the way it works. Right. So what do we see in Exodus, then, that would start us out with w- Moses? <laughs> well, yeah, because we, we want to, okay, the, the, the problem, and I think it's a problem, because it doesn't, it's, it's like limping around, I think. <laughs> um, what you have uh, that's happened with, particularly modern Baptist polity is you, there's a there's a one elder pastor those words are in, interchangeable mm-hmm. in Acts 20 um, an overseer bishop all that's all same thing uh, they've moved to like a, a CEO so you have a pastor a senior pastor he's the CEO if this is being inf- if this was influenced by corporate America, mm-hmm. and then you have like a board of directors, which they can call deacons because <coughs> then the deacons can help make decisions with authority and stuff like that, but they don't have their you know because of that label they're safeguarded from taking on preaching and teaching roles and soul care and counseling and well i've seen that happen even with a church that has set up quote-unquote elders sure yeah they they don't teach yeah they just make they become a board yeah they're a board and i think presbyterianism um will do that Mm -hmm. um uh, they'll kind of skew the line between a, a ruling elder and a teaching elder and according to first timothy i don't see the difference I don't yeah. think there was, and I'll get into that in a minute because there's a, there's a, a discussion there in First Timothy about those who labor in preaching and teaching, or who especially I'll have to look that up um, are worthy of double honor. And I think when you distinguish between a, a ruling and a teaching elder as two separate things, you're um, you're you're missing that word. Um, 
And so we're looking that up right now. Um, maybe that's in five, isn't it? Yeah. Let, let the elders who rule well, uh, this is First Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And then I think here's where you they miss it, comma, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Mm. Um, so one of the qualifications is that you're able to teach as an elder and that you would manifest that in some way. But there are those who kind of, according to this, would invest their lives who labor, which literally would mean to to the point of exhaustion or weariness or, mm-hmm. you know, sweat producing labor. They they invest that much in preaching and teaching. It's not to say that some don't. It's just to say that some do more, which would be, yeah. according to this, those that we pay more or pay full time in our language to do that. And then some others don't. They, you know, have a regular job outside the church, but they still serve in that way, called to that, yeah. and do that um, with a less amount of time sometimes than full time. Yeah. Did we get that? So that's bringing us to Moses here. Whenever the New Testament just talks about or addresses, except for the qualifications in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, uh, whenever it describes or refers to or, or communicates with pastors as people, it's always in the plural language. It's always elders, the elders of this church. Mm. Um, you know, Timothy is, is supposed to deal with the elders of Ephesus, and Peter is, is calling out elders plural. There's, there's an elder group mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we can see a biblical pattern for that just logically because of what happens with Moses in Exodus 18. Yeah, yeah. His father-in-law Jethro... Uh, comes to him with some great fatherly advice when he sees all the people gathered before Moses, all of them inquiring of what God has said through Moses, God's prophet and representative with his people. So in Exodus eighteen seventeen, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you and that is in the singular, you, you are not able to do it alone. So now obey my voice, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them known in the way they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. This is kind of like the First Timothy 3 qualifications mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. So, logically, is are we able to exercise that sort of spiritual leadership and care and authority over a group of people as one person? No. Mm-hmm. It's insane to be able to think we could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, just think about presidents and leaders of nations. You know, they're kind of the ones that are looked at as responsible for making some of the decisions and but they're leading groups of people to, to implement, to carry this out, to give them advice, to work on this together. Yeah, yeah. And that's the logical pattern. So when you get to the New Testament and you have thousands of people being saved, and not even thousands, say you have a small groups gathered, um, and is there any, any specific language to how many people you have to have before you need to 
delegate the work. Um, Colossians one twenty eight speaks about um, presenting or, or Paul's work, desire, call, and what that is for those who are to follow him is to present everyone mature in Christ. Mm. So how, how is it logical for you to look over a group of people, whatever size that is, to not only do the work of an evangelist, but to also be so involved in each person's spiritual life that you carry them into maturity, you know, like a child. You know, how, how is what, that's why I think we have two parents, because we're not that type of all-in-all being who can accomplish, accomplish it all. Now, that also breaks down, too, into situations where there's only one parent for whatever reason, right? and they have to do that. But um, the ideal is that you would have multiple voices, multiple viewpoints, multiple gifts and abilities and characteristics that can carry out this work and logically uh, bring it to its full end. I can't bring even, I mean, just think about it. Jesus dealt with 12. Um, you know, you go much past that. You, you couldn't, you couldn't, you don't have enough time in the day as a human being or bandwidth to bring everyone to spiritual maturity. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I look, I watch parents because I'm not one yet, but I, I watch parents. But soon? Mm, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Uh, and, and to deal with just their families, I mean, is work. It's to be a parent, I'm sure, is joyful, but a lot of, I would say, 99% of families in America are not more than three or four kids, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a total of five to six people per person, max, and that that's work. And yeah. so that's just half of 12, and so, yeah, you get, I mean, you can see it in the physical, even just in the world. You don't have to look at scripture it's playing out right before our eyes to mm-hmm. try and nourish and provide for um, all those people. human beings yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's a work that needs to be shared or you know and uh, one uh, one other thing that i find happen if if god's people try and organize uh not in the manner in which he's kind of laid out but in a in a manner that imitates the world instead of um god then uh or the biblical pattern that he set forth for humans, then y- you almost created an idol in the church. Yeah. You, you set up this CEO type to be the all in all, and uh, his voice and his, you know, his opinions and his um, way of dealing with things, his gifts. That's it, you know, and the and the body then relies on that for leadership instead of doing it together. Um, and it's it it's kind of precipitates uh, oftentimes a major fall or just uh, uh, a swerving from the faith, abandoning of the faith into something else. Yeah, well, that we just looked at that or have or we'll see that. I think it looks like we'll, we will see that in First Timothy mm-hmm. at the end of that letter. Whenever we have looked at that. Yeah. Anyway, the swerving of the faith is what I'm talking about, but. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up because the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, something I've heard John Piper talk a lot about lately, but to 
to not follow this biblical advice if we believe that the Bible is the word of God is to say, no, no, no. I think I think I understand my culture better than God does. So let me or I understand these people better. So so we're ultimately if we're not following scriptures directive or at least looking for it we may not have it down perfectly right now but we're we should be searching for that then we're saying that our wisdom is greater than god's wisdom even if i mean because you could say well god's wisdom over the whole historic you know this whole history yeah that's greater than mine because i don't understand all but right now i think this works better than what we see in the bible so it's just interesting to say that that boils down to us putting our own wisdom above God's. That's, yeah, that's a know. dangerous place. Well, yeah, and depending on our own strength above his. I mean, to yeah. assume that I can do this alone would be very proud. Yeah. Assume that I could be a pastor alone when I don't have to be, when that's not the situation. Right, especially if you know it. And what do you, I mean, because that leads me to think that if we're depending on our own wisdom above God's and we know or have some vague idea that either we should be looking for the truth or we know that we're not uh, in a church or directing a church according to the Bible and we're not desiring that, do we think that he's going to help us if we're not pursuing him? Yeah, or do we do we think that that goal of presenting when everyone mature in Christ is ever going to happen? Yeah, well, because, yeah, like yeah. you said, we can't do it on our own, so so – rationally then we have to have the lord's help and if we're not pursuing his directive and his wisdom why would we think he's going to you know I, I think this is the biggest problem that i've seen with modern it's not only baptist but modern baptist polity where you have one pastor several deacons is you have a a, a malnourishment of the church you mm. you have a pastor who's trying to counsel he's trying to do his job he's trying to present everyone mature in christ and then and he's trying to, to be the pastor with the sheep, the one feeding them and the one taking care of them and keeping them from danger and all that a, a shepherd does. And then he's also expected to interpret these great things of God to the deepest levels in, in all, you know, not on only on Sunday mornings, but, you know, how can that happen in the Sunday school time and throughout the week? And he's the only one to speak to that yeah. or to teach that. Um, and, so something gets neglected in those efforts, mm -hmm. and that's what it usually is. And so then you have a malnourished church and a phone call. And a phone call. Saying, what are you doing? We're going to take a quick break. Another, yeah. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to end this episode right here. This will be the end of our part one of two on church polity. This conversation went on for a total of 55 minutes, so we decided it would be best and probably beneficial to you all if we cut it and send it out in two parts so that we don't bore you to tears. So come back next time in a couple days. The second part will be posted. You can check it out to hear the end of this conversation where we uh, dismiss this phone call that's just happened and move right in. So we will see you soon. Much love.